Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I'm the publisher and owner of a media company in the Hudson Valley, New York. I launched this podcast to highlight and discuss topics without fear. My aim is to have a free exchange of ideas and an open and honest discussion on the issues of the day. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman, your host. Today we have our editorial roundup. We have Brian Marshauser. He's the editor of Your Town News and the Katona Lewisboro Times. We have Tom Wallagorski, the editor of North Salem News and the Somers Record, and Bob Dumas, editor of Mayapac News. We're going to launch right into this. Uh, I know uh, everybody wants to talk a little bit about the upcoming elections going on. Brian, I'm going to go right to you. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with uh, our uh, elections and our towns. And By the time everyone is listening to this, early voting will have started, so you'll have a chance to cast your vote starting the 23rd. Does anybody know when, when that runs until? I think a few days until before the election, maybe the 30th. I think 30th it runs or until uh, October 31st. October 31st. Okay, so yeah, early voting will be open for uh, seven to eight days. In the three towns that I cover, Bedford, Lewisboro, and Yorktown, we have competitive elections in all of them. And shockingly, the town that is usually the political hotbed of the ones that I cover has been Yorktown in years past. A lot of mudslinging, a lot of fighting. This year has been pretty quiet, actually. Matt Slater is running unopposed for re-election to town supervisor, which is almost unheard of in Yorktown. And the highway superintendent's running unopposed. The town justice is running unopposed. So the one and only competitive election we have is for the town board over there. Elon Gilbert, a former town supervisor, is running for town council, and his Democratic running mate is Vishnu Patel, who's looking for his fourth four-year term on the board. He is a former IBM scientist, but he's been on the board for a while. And they are going up against the Republican candidates, Sergio Esposito, who is president of the Yorktown Chamber of Commerce, and Luciana Howout. I don't actually learn how to pronounce her name, but she is a life coach and a former realtor. Those are the four candidates over in Yorktown. It's been... Um, it's been pretty quiet up until recently. It started to heat up in the recent weeks. You know, I think it's been kind of wild to see over the last few weeks how we go from like one to two letters to the editor per week to this most recent issue. I had 18. Mm. And I would say 90% of those letters were about one candidate, Sergio Esposito. I don't know. His supporters must be really excited because we got about 14 probably supporting him. And maybe and we had a couple against them, a couple peeved at his uh, large lawn signs, and then a couple kind of rehashing that let's go Brandon thing we talked about last week. And the fact that he owns a um, firearm store in Yorktown, I think a lot of people just calling attention to those things. So it, it's been pretty tame except for the last few weeks. But I, for one, am very excited for it to end. Um, <laughs> it gets a little nutty around this time of year. They're having a debate on Sunday, actually, with the Democrats and the Republicans. So I'll probably attend that and um, report back. But uh, that's it for Yorktown. And then over in Lewisboro, competitive races pretty much down the ballot. Peter Parsons, the supervisor in Lewisboro, is stepping down after many years at the helm, I think probably a decade about. I think Bob probably knows more accurately, right, Bob? <laughs> yeah, I think he started in 2012. Um, okay, yeah. So about a decade, I guess that would put him at. Yeah. So he's stepping down. I know he's uh, in his 80s. So I think it's time to move on and leave the town in somebody else's hands. 
looking to pick up the mantle. He endorsed his uh, deputy supervisor, Tony Gonsalves. He's been on the town board now for four years. So he's actually vacating his town council seat to run for supervisor. So he's not running from a position of power. If, you know, if he loses, he's not on the board anymore. He's running against Bill Bongiorno, the Republican candidate over in Lewisboro. For many years, Peter Parsons ran unopposed. I know that. There hasn't been a huge Republican um, political push over there. But in recent years, they've kind of gotten their act together. So Tony Gonsalves versus Bill Bongiorno at the top of the... And then, uh, you know, then we in the council race, we have Jane Crimmins running for re-election. She's running on the Democratic side with Mary Shaw. And she's going up against Andrea Rendo and Allison Biddle. And I... Andrew Rendo, it's funny because that was a familiar name to me. And I, it, it even go, harkens back to my daily voice days. I think she ran against Peter Harkham for county legislator almost a decade ago. Oh, well. So I, I think uh, that's where the name came from. But yeah, so she's, she's running for town board over in Lewisboro. And um, finally, in Bedford, we have Ellen Calvis, who is the deputy supervisor over in Bedford. She's running up against Don Scott, the former town councilman. In Bedford. So he ran for supervisor a few years ago and lost. Now he's uh, actually he ran for town council. Sorry. He ran for town council a few years ago and lost. He was on the board, but he ran for re-election and was defeated by Ellen Calvis. So now they're squaring off once again for the top spot. And on the Bedford town board, we have, let me hold this up right here. We have a bunch of newcomers. Well, Andres Castillo Quintana and Ali Choi running for Bedford Town Board against... Uh, I mean, Andres Castillo-Quintana is running with Stephanie McCain, who's on the Bedford Town Board. And uh, Ali Choi is running with Peter Michaelis, who might be another familiar name. I think he also once ran for uh, county legislator or another seat like that. He's been on the zoning board for quite a while in Bedford. So he's been a public servant for a while. So that's the race. And we even have a Bedford Town Justice competitive race. And... Matt Damon, believe it or not, has endorsed one of the Bedford judicial candidates. I don't know if you recall seeing I that. I did see that YouTube episode, <laughs> video. Absolutely. He was roommates with Matt Damon at Harvard. So he endorsed him. And doesn't Matt, da- does Matt Damon live in Bedford? No, he doesn't. Oh, okay. uh, he, he, he just uh, recorded a YouTube video for his old college roommate and said, you know, I, I listen, I feel bad in the sense talking about it too much because, you know, I'm... I think uh, Jody Kimmel, who is running against Clark Petschek, said, well, my college roommate endorses me too. So <laughs> I think that's the, that was the perfect response. <laughs> it would funnier if it was just another guy named Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Brian, just to go back to Lewisboro for a second, you had mentioned that Parsons had had a Democrats had an iron grip on that seat for the last decade. But prior to his coming in, that was a pretty much dominated by Republicans. They had oh, had a, a, Yeah. And there was a guy named Charlie Duffy. He mm-hmm. was the supervisor mm-hmm. prior to Parsons, but he got arrested for a DWI right in the middle of that campaign. And that kind of was the death knell for his campaign. Yeah. And Parsons won that election as an underdog because of that and and there was no looking back he's he's held it ever since and the democrats have found a way to kind of creep back in politically into that town oh yeah 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 before before, when i first started covering it was the board was ruled by republicans four to one there was only one democrat on the board for many years but there's been a paradigm shift over there it seems like it's a total shift they have a total stranglehold over town government right now it's uh Technically, I know one of the members on the board is a Green Party member. I think he's registered to the Green Party. Otherwise, you know, it's four Democrats and one Green Party member. Uh, well, so what, which one is the Green I Party? Member? I think that's Daniel Welsh. 
Yes, he, yes, but he, he was but that he, back then. Yeah. He rides his bike to the uh, to the <laughs> meetings. <laughs> you know, he he runs with the Democratic slate. You know, no matter what party he's officially registered to. But, yes, yeah. he he's the hippie of the group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Bedford, the same way. Right now, Bedford is being dominated by Democrats. I know that's part of the rallying cry for some of the Republicans in Lewisboro and and Bedford, saying we need a diversity of thought on these boards. It's not good to have five zero. Which is actually, believe it or not, what Yorktown could be facing in the opposite direction. If Sergio Esposito and Luciana Howitt win, it will be 5-0 Republicans in Yorktown. And that's just totally, it flies in the face a little bit of the demographics of the town, which is almost split 50-50, Democrats, Republicans. It'd be, be quite interesting to see. I agree with you. I think it's never healthy to have an all one party board in our towns. Um, and I actually think it does a disservice to the party that's in power um, because, you know, they can get kind of lazy and, you know, so uh, and take. Well, that would be a perfect segue into me to talk about Carmel, <laughs> <Absolutely. Don't laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, where um, it's all Republicans all the time. It's a very red county. Carmel is a very red town, though I'm being told there is in the wake of the pandemic with the uh the exodus of New Yorkers from the city moving up here, you know, shaking up the real estate market and all that, that the voter rolls have been changing and the town is a little more purple than red now. We'll see. But that being said, Carmel and Putnam County is about to have their elections as well. And of course, Carmel is an all Republican town board. The Democrats have thrown up two candidates uh, to face to uh, Mike Borelli is not seeking reelection. So Susie McDonough is the lone incumbent. She is the deputy supervisor. She's seeking reelection for her fourth term, I believe. And a guy named Steve Barankowski, who has been the chair of the uh, conservative party over here in Putnam County for many years, is... Uh, her running mate as a Republican. The Democrats have two candidates, April Daly and James Camardi. Camardi is a young college student out of Carmel. April Daly is a PhD and a local business owner. But, you know, we'll see. You know, in years gone past, Democrats not done well in these town board elections. The race for supervisor is uh, uncontested. Mike Kazari, former police chief, defeated incumbent supervisor Kenny Schmidt in the Republican primary, and the Democrats have not put anybody up against him. So Kazari will be the next supervisor. He's running unopposed. The more interesting races lie at the county level, and Mayapak News doesn't cover the county intensely, but these races have a big impact. The most controversial one has been for Putnam County Sheriff as uh, Bob Langley, the incumbent, tries to fend off challenger Kevin McConville in a very a race that's become very heated and very um, nasty at times. Uh, we've discussed some of those issues here about his controversial recorded phone call between Langley and Kenneth Schmidt, the supervisor, and how it got released on to social media. The Republicans are still trying to use that as a campaign issue. And then for county legislature district. Oh, and actually, Bob, I, just, I, just, I do want to challenge you for one thing, though. And this is what I do find interesting. Again, you know, I, I control some of these social media sites and that faction in the town of Carmel, the Barilli faction, you know, they're not 
kind of in with the Republican Party, even right, though the mainstream Republican Party, yeah, for sure, even yeah. though they are Republicans themselves. Um, Correct. This seems like that whole Barilli faction with Erin Lee Crowley. Was, yeah. uh, she, they all seem to be supporting Langley there. So I thought that was an interesting I don't know what it signifies. I think it's interesting. Right. I don't know what it signifies either. And it's kind of funny because, you know, four years ago when Langley was running and he won, those people were nowhere to be seen. But he ran against a a beleaguered uh, Smith campaign who had been under fire for a lot of controversy. So Langley was able to win that election. Now, four years later, we'll see what happens. He's the incumbent, so he has the advantage. You know, I have a gut feeling that he's going to win, but, you know, my gut isn't always right. You know, we were talking about, you know, one party dominating, you know, and in Putnam County, that holds true for the county legislature. There's nine people on the legislature. There's one Democrat. And so it's eight to one there. But in District 7, which covers a good chunk of Mayapak, which is why we're covering that race, we have Democrat Neophyte. He's the chair of the county Democrat committee, but he's never run for an office before. His name is Scott Reing, R-E-I-N-G. And he's up against the longtime incumbent Joe Castellano. You know, I know the Republican, uh, the Democrats have, put on a strong campaign, basically saying, you know, if you want change, you got to vote for it. You know, everybody likes to bitch and then they'll go out and vote the same way every time and nothing changes. So that's basically been their platform. So I don't know what's going to come of that particular race, but they have some skin in the game now, the Democrats. Uh, I think they it's one of their most viable candidates they've had in a while. Scott's been running a very high-profile campaign. He's out there all the time. So we have profiles uh, in the upcoming paper of Langley McConville for sheriff and the county legislature seat. And this week we have the town board profiles. So if you want to know your candidates and see how your feelings lie, you know, read Mayapack News in uh, in the upcoming two editions. And, and, and talking again about, um, you know, one party dominance, not to beat a dead horse here, but um, I know one important thing in terms of just local governance in regard to that is, you know, there's a whole law with the open public meetings that town boards are supposed to conduct their meetings in public and um, they're supposed to all issues are really supposed to be discussed in public. No decisions are supposed to be made privately. Right. But when there's a one-party board, the loophole to that law is that they can have caucus meetings. And the caucus meetings are, they can have a Republican meeting. And the Republican meeting basically means that they can meet behind closed doors. So I think that's harmful. Uh, I don't care yeah. what party, you know, I, I, have, I have my political beliefs, but I don't care what party. Well, it's harmful to well, town governance. Well, I know, you know, who knows what goes on behind closed doors, but I know the members of the Carmel Town Board are acutely aware of that rule. And because when they have all these other issues like the master plan and they want to meet and discuss it, they are very conscious that they can't have a quorum. You know, uh, otherwise, then it's a quote unquote meeting, you know, so there can only be two of them at the. That's not, I'm telling you, that's not the loophole is they can have caucus meetings. Uh, right. And, they, and, and I know it happens. And I'm saying, yeah. to my knowledge, they haven't used that loophole, at least publicly, I, you know. I, I, uh, I, I, I'm certain they have. I'm certain they have. Yeah. Well, if they were caught doing it, they might say caucus, you know, but. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, under my auspices, they, they haven't done that yet. You know, and I've heard them talk, you know, we're going to have a master plan meeting. And then they discuss amongst the five of them. Well, who, what two of us can be there? Cause we can't have three, you know, mm-hmm. I've, they've talked about that out loud. So, you know, I think part of them is a little paranoia. They don't want to get caught doing that. And I don't know if they know about the caucus loophole and if they've utilized it, they've kept it quiet. So, and then, the last thing, of course, it's budget time for everybody. Earlier this month, Kenny Schmidt released his last budget. He's going out with a bang. You know, the tax rate, and we were talking about this earlier before we came on air. If you look out your window, you might see pigs flying because the tax rate is actually uh, gone down for this coming tax bill on the town. It's going to go down 2.72%. How much of that tax rate going down? And I'm just surmising. I don't know if this is, you know, what people's motives are, but, you know, Ken lost a contentious primary. How much of it is it him saying, okay, I'm going to lower the budget, you know, lower the taxes? And, and- uh, well, I, that would be speculation on my part. And uh, I have no idea. I know he's, these aren't something that they just did over the last couple of weeks. They've been working on this. And, you know, he has to work with the controller who is nonpartisan. The tax rate was down last year as well and can lost even because of that. You know, and it's kind of funny when we write these stories and we put them on Facebook, people are incredulous and don't believe it. You know, I'll write like town is going to have a lower tax rate and the, the reaction is like, yeah, right. You know, or I'll believe it when I see it, you know, but everybody needs to keep in mind that when your tax bill comes in in the fall, for the school day, you know, the, the town tax money is a small percentage. It's only 13%. It's your school taxes that are 63% of the overall pie that really are going to impact what you have to pay in November. But the town is only 13%, at least this year in the Mayapak school district. But that 13% is dropping down by about 2.7%. So what caused it to drop? I haven't dived that deep into the budget yet, but we'll have a story coming up on it this week. I'll be working on it this afternoon. I think most people pay their taxes by escrowing it through their mortgage company. So I have to say like on a personal level, I I don't look at the taxes in my town. Mm -hmm. I just see what portion of my uh, mortgage payment is, is taxes. So the school taxes could go down, the town taxes could go up, whatever. I don't pay that close of attention on my where I live. So I have a, I have a feeling most residents probably don't pay that close attention as well. I, yeah, there are, it's probably true that most don't, but there are the hawks out there that watch this stuff really closely, but they don't realize how it's broken down. Like the taxes are broken down. You know, there's town, county, yes. school district, and then you have your different special districts like library, garbage, lighting, water, and then they all are add up to for the whole pie. And each one is a little different, but the town portion of that is going down, whether people want to believe it or not. Yeah, you yeah. know, so we'll have that and all the requisite pie charts to go with it. I'm gonna jump over to Tom real quick. As, yep. as far as my two town, it's kind of a, a tale of two towns here. North Salem, everything is completely uncontested for this election. We have a uh, Warren Lucas, uh, supervisor, Republican, Martin Aaron for a uh, town board on the uh, Democratic line and Peter Kamenstein, 
Uh, on the Republican line, we also have Karen Roach. Uh, she's the running for tax collector, Democrat, and Ward Hannabarro for a highway superintendent on the Republican ticket. Everybody's running unopposed, so it should be a relatively quiet election in North Salem. And uh, and we jump over to Somers, where we actually have uh, interesting races kind of across the board. For town board, we have the two incumbents. It's uh, Anthony Sirico and Bill Faulkner, uh, both Republicans. And they're being challenged by uh, Tom Newman and Margaret DiLorenzo on the Democratic ticket. And then uh, the big one, the main event, is um, we're going to have a new supervisor one way or another. Rick Morrissey was not seeking a fifth term this year. So uh, we have on the Republican side of things, we have Rob Scarano. And on the Democrat side, we have uh, Stephanie Keegan. Yeah, I just want to clarify one thing. I don't believe it was Rick Marsh's fifth term, but he was on the town board before he was supervisor. I'm not sure how many terms he was as supervisor, but I don't believe it was five terms. That would, that would, would have be been t- speaking his fifth term. I, if, I, if I'm wrong, I do apologize. I'll have to double check on that. For, 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 uh, looking at it, Mary Beth Murphy, I remember, we, I, yeah. I remember being here when she was supervisor. She stepped down in 2013, so Morrissey's first term started in 2014. Yeah. So I guess that would place him about having served four terms. If that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So time flies. I apologize. Yeah, right. Where, where, where do the years go? No, hey, listen. Good to uh, good to double check these things. But anyway, so it'll be uh, be interesting to see who takes uh, who takes the big race. Uh, just from uh, I don't make any kind of speculation on these uh, political races, especially this is my first go around with election season in my two respective towns. But I've uh, you know I've heard a lot of good things about candidates on both sides of it. So it'll be very interesting to see how things shake out. Um, as Brian touched on, I also want to let everybody know that by the time that uh, everyone's hearing this, the early voting will already be started. That begins on Saturday, October 23rd, and it runs through Sunday, the 31st. Uh, if you go on either North Salem or Somers Tap Into, we have all the information about times, available polling places. And um, we also had, uh, we ran our all of our candidate profiles for my two papers earlier in the month. That information is still available on the Tap Into sites. And uh, in this coming issue, coming out at the end of the week after this podcast airs, we'll definitely have a final word from all of our candidates before the November 2nd election. Great. There's a big grant that Somers is getting. Yeah, um, we're, yeah, we're well, it's, uh, they're they're applying for. Uh, applying for yeah. Very hopeful. So um, there's the senior and recreation center in uh, in Somers at the Van Tassel House. Definitely in need of a little love, in need of a little upgrade. The town is um, looking to apply for a community development block grant, which basically could result in the town getting a substantial sum of money for these upgrades to the property and the you know the infrastructure and everything. So to the tune of about 1.8 million dollars. I know the board members are very excited about it. Actually, one of them remarked that it was like basically like Christmas and it could do a lot of good for this, you know, for this property and for the the town and the community, just a lot of infrastructure improvements, um, an emergency generator, which could be used, you know, in weather related events for the, you know, for the town, uh, HVAC systems, mold, drainage, basically could cover a whole litany of things. And while they were talking about this particular block grant, they also are looking into uh, sidewalk grants. It would have a big impact on the residents of Heritage Hills. They would be able to be walked down like to, you know, kind of like almost like the town center right now. And uh, there would be extensions down routes 100 and 202 and saying they could do a, a very good thing for the accessibility, you know, for basically everybody in town. So a couple, you know, a couple big grants, some money moving around there. And then uh, in uh, North Salem, there's been some discussion as uh, the residents of Peach Lake and that surrounding area, Peach Gardens, all that, they know all too well, flooding has been a very big issue for basically a long time. And most recently in August, uh, when Tropical Storm Ida hit, the flooding in some areas of Peach Lake was pretty bad. 
So now it's kind of because the area straddles the border between North Salem and Southeast. Officials from both towns are really working to solve this problem there. Basically, there's a culvert that is kind of undersized, and that impacts the way that the water runs from Peach Brook and East Branch Reservoir. So every time we get these storms and this weather, they need to, the flooding gets up and it's, you know, the residents are starting to get concerned that this is going to be like long-term property damage and everything. So we have people on both, you know, everybody agrees this is a problem, but now they're, you know, both towns are kind of working towards getting the engineering studies done. And I just know that, you know, from, uh, you know, speaking with some residents and everything that people are starting to get a little anxious to get this problem solved. And I, I, know, I know in North Salem, there is a sunny side story. Uh, what? <laughs> I was trying, I'm trying, I was trying, sorry. Um, yeah, so we also, uh, there's been some, uh, some recent traffic accidents lately in uh, in North Salem that we're going to have stories about in uh, in our next issue coming out at the end of the week after this airs. But one of them actually involved a tractor trailer truck carrying eggs, flipping over and landing in the front yard of a former town board member. And um, first and foremost, I just want to assure all of our readers and listeners, there were no serious injuries reported at the scene and everything. But um, emergency crews were scrambling to get to the scene. <laughs> So yeah, we'll have a we'll have an update on uh, you know some of the action on our roads and the egg truck and everything, and we'll see what kind of headline we wind up coming up for that. It's too bad yeah. it wasn't like a like I don't know a beer truck or a- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the professional journalists that we are. I'm sure we will come up with something good for it. Yeah, and hopefully people can take a yoke. Yes, <laughs> uh, you're cracking me up now. <laughs> Ah, uh, that's a good one too. <laughs> well, well done, gentlemen. Well done. Um, it's all it's all a shell game. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, going back to you, I know uh, this a new some new developments that you want to discuss. Yeah, over in Yorktown, uh, seems to be a new development every week. Things are happening over there, and I would say one of the more interesting ones is a. Toll Brothers, which is a one of the nation's largest home builders, it's a Fortune 500 company that I think oversees just thousands of homes and developments in 24 states. That's off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure that's accurate, though. They are proposing to build a 136 age-restricted development near the Yorktown-Cortland border. The 136 is not the age. That is the amount of units. Uh, it's The age restriction is 55 plus so it's going to be a 55-plus community with 136 units on Catherine Street. It's actually going to be where the old field home was. It's a field home Holy Comforter. Is it what is an assisted living facility that operated for a while, and it's now shut down, I believe. So right now, they're, they're kind of taking the temperature of the town board because this will require a zone change. And, you know, this is what is kind of standard procedure in development. They will meet with the planning department they will meet with the town board, the, the head of the town, they'll and kind of find out whether this is something that they might be interested in because otherwise they don't want to make this big investment and have the town just reject it later on. So right now they're in that phase of just kind of finding out how the town's feeling, you know, if there's any buildings they should save, you know, if they're gonna be cool with having this many ingresses and egresses, is you know. Things like that. So is there, are there going to be any potential problems that we need to know about? But right now, the town seems pretty supportive of it. And, and I if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I guess one of the positives that town boards look at with 55 plus communities is that 
you're, you're not increasing cost of the school district. Right. Yeah. That's always kind of a big thing. They're not going to be adding kids to the uh, school districts. So the, the school districts are very happy to hear that, of course. Um, it's, it's actually one of the deviate a little bit. Um, it's actually one of the topics I pose to the town council candidates over in Yorktown. Uh, Yorktown's the senior population in Yorktown has increased by 18% from 2000 to 2020. Meanwhile, the uh, 25 to 34 range has decreased by 15%. So I kind of asked their thoughts on that trend, whether they think they need to attract more Gen Y, Gen Z residents and how they can go about that. And there are about 300 rental units being proposed right now in Yorktown Heights, which I know has Dr. Ron Hatter, the superintendent of the Yorktown School District, probably a little worried because he's like, oh boy, you know, it costs a lot to educate one kid. I, I, I forget what the exact number is. but Although the, uh, I mean, would, would the school district be opposed to that or does it help? Does that justify, you know, increased budgets? So or? obviously, the listen, I mean, the taxes, and when you add big development like that, the taxes on the property are going to go up. But will they be paying their fair share for what it takes to educate a child? I don't know. I haven't done the math. But I know that's always a concern to people. What you know, if we're adding 150 unit development where the old Kmart used to be, you know, how many kids are we talking? Is that going to be 200 kids in the school district? That's a lot. So I mean, I mean, I mean the other problem also is, and Brian, I mean, you're acutely aware of this, just having mm-hmm. recently house hunted yourself, mm-hmm. is you know, it's gotten even worse. I think since you bought your house, which is you know, the price is just going through the roof. I mean, it's, it's how does anybody these rental units that they're proposing are going to be at market rate. So when we were frustrated with our house search and we couldn't afford anything in Westchester, we did look at apartments. We looked at some of those on uh, Route 6 in Baldwin Place, kind of near the Chili's. What are they called? Uh, Avalon's? Somers? The cheapest one. It's like 800 square feet. It's like 2,400 bucks a month. That's crazy. Yeah. And I just, you know, that's what's market rate in this area. Yeah. At that point, we just said, I'd rather pay a mortgage, you know, pay towards something than than just kind of spend $2,500 a month. Just, <laughs> I mean, crazy, uh, yeah. when you hear these rental units, you, you think uh, people, for some reason, think rental is more affordable. It's really not sometimes. Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you, you're going to be getting a lot of... Um, people worry that they're going to get like, um, oh, they're going to cram 10 kids in a house to get them all to the school district. That's what they think when they hear rental units. You know, they're going to to find a loophole and, and just to get in the Yorktown address and then they're going to send all the kids to the district. But I know there are, you know, limitations on how many people you can have living in a two bedroom home or something like that. But yeah. um, I mean, at, at some point, the demographics of the town are going to have to change because it's either, either only, only wealthy people can afford to buy homes. Sure, of course. Or, yeah. Or the cost of the, of homes and, and, and rentals will have to and go down. Another question I did ask the town, ca- town council candidates is about affordable housing over in Yorktown because there's a big debate going on right now about whether the town should adopt a law that requires developers to build affordable housing. Right now, there's no law prohibiting it, but there's no law encouraging it either. So again, we're getting a little off topic, but you know, it, we talk about the age-restricted community and adding a bunch of 55-plus residents to the town. But on the other hand, there are 300 additional units that don't have age restrictions that are being proposed right now. I know these, another one nearby on the Soundview Prep property, they did say they would quote unquote reserve some of these units for seniors, but they're not going to be in the age restricted zone, which is the specific zone that they would have to be under. So it might just be kind of like a PR talk. But I don't, I don't actually know if there's any legal way they can do it unless they're zoned for the age restricted use. I think they're saying they're going to market. It's kind of like Heritage Hills over in Somers, right? They kind of market toward 
older families. Historically, that's what's been attracted to. But I do know there are young families are you know. Yeah, yeah. I think for a while it was uh, they were an age restricted community at one point, and then they changed it. Yeah, and 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 I I remember like if I remember correctly, I mean they said something about like I think it was like not lawful, which I'd never understood because it does exist elsewhere. Right. No, if the town of Yorktown has a zone where you can have age restricted units, so I think that's what they're applying for the town right now, and the town seems kind of all for it. So we'll move on, spend too much time on this development. And one more development. I don't know if if this is just people in Yorktown, but if you ever driven across 202 heading from Yorktown to Cortland to Peekskill, you'll see this kind of dilapidated windmill structure that is now covered in graffiti. It's been abandoned for about 10 years or so, maybe even longer. But I remember as a kid, I went there when it was a restaurant called Ernesto's. And for us, it was built nearly a century ago, maybe more than that. It was an old... The old Dutch mill is what it was called. It was a windmill. And, you know, it's kind of an iconic looking structure, but now it's kind of fallen into disrepair. And they're proposing to build a new 20,000 square foot development on that property. It would kind of be like a best plumbing showroom type of thing. Not that best plumbing is the tenant, but it would be that like that type of thing, a showroom. And then in the back, they would have space for contractors where they can store materials and park their trucks. That's kind of so nothing overly exciting there. And the planning department's really pushing for them to keep that windmill. So, uh, <laughs> and maybe they can save it. Because you know it's it's cool when you have a little neat architecture like that. So I think it's uh, I think it really helps the character of the town. One of my favorite things growing up, you know, I, I grew up uh, uh, definitely the the 80s and early 90s, and uh, one of my favorite memories was going to Skaters World in Wayne, New Jersey. Why are there no skating rinks anymore? I don't understand that. I'd I think to, supply I'd, and demand, right? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I think you if don't they don't were bowling alleys yeah. anymore. If they made money, I think you'd see a lot of them. But I think you know. bowling alleys are awesome. Also, I love bowling. Well, alleys. we have two bowling alleys in Yorktown, actually. Yeah, so we it's have at, one in Carmel. It's very yeah. popular. Yeah, yeah bowling alleys. Didn't one in Carmel get taken over by like it used to be like a like a regular just independent one, and it got t- taken over by a chain. Things spin, spins. Spin. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's the one yeah. In Carmel. yeah, I want the old school bowling alleys where you have to like write on thing in pencil and the ashtray is built right in. <laughs> well, <laughs> you should try uh, Jefferson Valley Lanes over in Yorktown. Jefferson Valley Lanes. They're still going in Cortland Lanes too. If it's actually near the windmill over. Um, I think it's might be technically Yorktown, Cortland Lanes. So Yorktown has a couple of them. Okay, so yeah. Them. But if they're the old-fashioned one, I will definitely make a trip down there. <laughs> My grandniece just had her sixth birthday party at Spin Bowls in Carmel. And oh, I, that's that's the, yeah. You yeah. get the pizza. My mom was the, telling me they did a, a great job. Yeah. I think there's nothing better than spending an afternoon at a bowling alley, like on, a, on like a Sunday, just drinking some beer and. You know, just I don't even know. It's, it's, yeah, it, has I to agree. Be, it has to be in a plastic cup. Like, again, cup yes. holders are built right into the <laughs> Yes, exactly. My, so. my first date when I was 15 years old, that's what I took my date on. I took her bowling. <laughs> it's great. No, it's, it, it's, a, it's definitely fun. A lot of fun. So, all right, gentlemen, uh, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thanks, Thanks. Brad. Thanks, Thanks a lot. guys. It was always a pleasure. All right. Bye, guys. Bye bye.